0: well i want to start off by saying thank you um for your gracious hospitality uh living water thank you to uh pastor and uh graber and sister stacy really appreciate y'all and uh we're live streaming right you know it's it's scary to be in front of a group of people and speak and it's really scary to be um where they can record all your mistakes and everybody can see it so is this where the cameras are Okay, I need to say hi to everybody that's watching us in Spanish. Buenos dias, Dios les bendiga hermanos, in Peru, y in Mexico, in Texas, Dios les bendiga. Aprende Inglés. Hallelujah. <laughs> Anybody here speak Spanish? Hallelujah. Good. Everybody learn Spanish. I'll tell you two reasons why you should learn Spanish. Number one, you can talk to an additional 450 million people. That's one reason to speak Spanish. And another reason is uh, the next time you come to Peru, you can do that without a translator. You can talk to people without a translator. It's great to learn another language. I love um, languages. I know not everybody shares my enthusiasm for languages, but uh, it's fascinating when you see how you can say something in one language that you can't quite get in another. And um, I know time's short, so, talking about languages i want to go right into our text this morning Uh, proverbs chapter 15 15 and this goes along with the last scripture our brother read for us today talking about a banquet all right do we have it up there proverbs 15 15 i'll read pray and then we'll go on to the message all of the days of the afflicted are evil but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast let's pray Lord, I thank you that the best is yet to come, and I thank you that what awaits us is so much greater than what we have to go through and what we get to face now. If the joys of this world are great, how much greater are the joys of the world to come? Lord, I pray, help us to be a people who live in joy. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So talking about languages, I have to, I didn't need these the last time I was here, but I really need these now. Uh, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. I am working on Hebrew, so bear with me if you're better at this than I am. Uh, kol yime ani ra'im uh, ve tov lev mishteh tamid. Kol yimei Ani. The Ani are the afflicted. And apparently, the word in Hebrew has a little bit different uh, idea than in English. The afflicted, you know, we used to say, that's afflicted. That meant that's bad. But the afflicted in Hebrew, it's the idea of bearing a burden. The burdened ones. The people are weighted down. You know, in the Andes, sometimes you'll see. Women who carry these huge loads on their back of firewood and they usually have a baby hanging on the front and they usually have a couple of kids strangling behind them and uh, uh, maybe some of the mothers here can relate but they're they're burdened down with, with these huge weights on their back or you'll see little kids, kids have, they start boys off from uh, little age and they'll have them with huge uh, sacks of potatoes And they carry them on their backs down the mountain as they're harvesting potatoes and they're burdened down with this weight and so some people are afflicted in the sense of burdened down. Have you ever felt like that before? There are a lot of people i'm finding especially this year who just feel like they are crushed down with a giant weight you've got so many things going on and the afflicted are oftentimes the poor we're called the ani because they were burdened down with the the weight of life and they have so many things that are burdening them there may be an affliction of sickness there may be an affliction of uh economic necessity there may be an affliction of problems you know we're having economic problems Uh, here in the States. In Peru, uh, their their workforce was 16 million people, and 6 million people have lost their jobs. Only 10 million people are working right now in that country. And uh, there are so many other uh, afflictions that just add on top of that. All the days of the afflicted are evil. The word evil, ra'a, means evil in the widest sense. It's a commonly used word for evil. And it's not just moral evil. It's evil like bad times, like terrible, like very difficult kind of evil. It's evil in that sense. It's not just a morally a wickedness. It's that every day is a bad day when you're afflicted. And I know several of us have been through that. When you feel this burden of affliction on you, um, everybody else is doing well, but every day is a bad day for the afflicted. Now, uh, we'll, we'll get back to this at the end, but I want to point out how the verse ends. But he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. The scripture we read before talked about the feast of the king. And that's what the kingdom of God is moving towards, is a feast. God wants us to be in a feast. The other day we were so blessed when the uh, Chartiers invited us to their house in the evening and we had a feast. In fact, I don't think you can go to the Chartiers' house without having a feast just delicious, all kinds of good stuff to eat, and there was a fire, and everybody was sitting around having a good time, and don't you enjoy times like that? Yeah. In Texas, we call it a party. Other translations say a banquet, but the bad thing about the banquet is that it ends, and you got to go home because it's late, and you got to get up and go to work the next morning, or do something else, but this passage promises that he who is of a merry heart, and we'll talk what that is in, at the end here, has a continual feast. It's possible, is it possible to be happy all the time? Is it possible to be as though you were at a perpetual party? Well the answer is in Christ, yes it is. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just want to lay that out there before we trudge through all the all the dark stuff of how evil things are. God's intention is a feast. In fact, uh, in traditional uh, understanding of, of Christian worship, Christian worship revolves around two poles. The, the table of the, the word and the table. The preaching, what I'm attempting to do right now, of scripture. And uh, the breaking of the bread and the taking of the cup. That's traditionally what Christian worship revolves around. Isn't that interesting? They're both food metaphors. Jesus said, man shall not live by what? bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and so in our worship there's a feeding of the soul and a feeding of our body that it has a symbolic and a spiritual component to it God is feeding us and it's a little foretaste it's a drop of the best that's yet to come every time we take communion every time we go through that we're remembering the Lord's Supper but then the wedding feast that waits for us in the future so we're looking back and we're looking forward and um, Christian, the, the following of Christ, being a believer, uh, is, is supposed to be walking with God in such a way that every day is a continual feast. And so that's what we want to get. But sometimes they're not there. And some people aren't there. And we have to be realistic. As believers, uh, it, we need to understand that uh, there are some folks who are afflicted, and maybe through no fault of theirs. How do you respond when someone you love and care for is afflicted? Maybe you're not, but they are. Like, for example, we had an incident uh, uh, this summer as, as COVID is unleashing its fury all over the world. It affects people we love and care about. And uh, a sister in Peru who might be watching now, hola, um, she called my wife. And then her husband called me uh, a little bit after that. And here's their situation. Um, See if I can remember everything that was going on with them at that time. It was a list that you could write a book about, but uh, her sister got sick with COVID. Her brother-in-law got sick with COVID. Then her husband got COVID and he was on 10 bottles of oxygen a day, whatever that is. And then they had martial law declared in Peru. Uh, That means military are patrolling the streets and you can't go out and they will actually arrest you. They only allow a certain curfew, a time when people could leave the city, uh, I mean leave their homes and go buy things and only essential businesses, whatever the government declared was essential, could be open. And So on Mondays women could go out and go shopping, Tuesdays men could go out and go shopping, just trying to keep everybody out of the streets. And they were arresting lots of people, the police and the military were arresting people for being out beyond curfew and you couldn't travel. Uh, They shut down the entire, like you still can't go to Peru. Uh, They couldn't travel from one province to another. Just a very, and there's this state of fear and panic. You think it's bad here. It feels like the end of the world normally down there and then on top of this everybody's scared to death. And then they couldn't work. And her husband was doing some, he wasn't supposed to be working, but he was doing some work. And then he couldn't work even then because he was so sick. And the neighbors at the little stores wouldn't sell them anything at the local bodegas because everybody knows that they've got sick people in their house. And then on top of all that, um, her mother died with COVID. She got the disease and she had other, she had diabetes and some other things. And then on top of that, The hospitals just, they were cremating all the people that were dying. They wouldn't give them the body back, and so they couldn't have uh, a funeral. And um, just one thing after another, I think I forgot a couple of things. What would you do if your friend called you (laughs) with that? How do you respond to that? Well, we probably know not to respond with a happy clap. Well, don't worry, it's okay. That's probably not the best thing to say when someone is going through that. In fact, we've got another verse here. Romans 12, uh, 15. Romans 12, 15. Did we get that up there? I hope I got it right. What's this say? Everybody read this with me. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Is there a time for weeping? Yeah, there's a time to sympathize with someone who's going through difficulty. And even if you say, well, I've never been there before, you may not have been through all that. Maybe your life is going great. Thank God for that. But if it is, God makes us strong so we can bear with the weak. And maybe they're not responding well. Maybe they're responding poorly. I'll talk more about Liz in a minute, but um, our sister we talked about a minute ago. But there is a place to weep with those who weep. Look at our Lord Jesus. He's our example in everything, right? I love Jesus. He is so much how I want to be. You get to, uh, remember Jesus and Lazarus when he dies? His response amazes me. Now, his response to Lazarus' family and friends. Uh, John 11, 33. Lazarus is dead. Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha are weeping. What does it say? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. What does it say? Jesus wept. Why this is amazing is because he's going to fix the problem. In five minutes, everything will be okay. But even though he's going to fix the problem, right now they are hurting. And their grief is real, and he knows their affliction, and he's not indifferent to it. That impresses me a lot. He knows. He cares. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit. It it affected Christ emotionally. You know, the Lord Jesus is not like the Buddha. Uh, We've noticed uh, Buddhism is popular, and I, I played with that when I was a youth. I was not raised in a Christian home. But Buddha would say things like, Attachment is the root of suffering. And so, in that system, the goal of Buddhism is to achieve detachment, to separate yourself from this evil material world and all the suffering that goes along with it. But we see Jesus very attached to his friends, emotionally attached, personally attached to them, so much so that he his suf- their suffering moves him in the deepest way. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Furthermore, and this just caught my attention uh, a few weeks ago when I was studying for this message, Jesus is crying and weeping with two adult, unmarried women who have just lost their brother in a culture that doesn't put much, uh, doesn't ap- appreciate women, and doesn't appreciate unmarried women, In their Jewish culture at that time, they were kind uh, of, you, you all really haven't made it, they, they didn't look well on them, Jesus is friends with them, and he feels their grief, and he cares about them, they're abandoned, their brother was, may well have been their, their provider, they're in a bad situation economically, you know, there are a lot of people in this world that are in a bad, that are bad off. There are a lot of people that um, are going through a lot of grief. They need to know. They need to see the Jesus who cares. Does everybody here believe Jesus cares? Yes. You believe he cares about you? Have you personally ever tasted the compassion of Christ? I think if you experience that, it melts you. It moves you, and you want to show that compassion to other people there's another passage where Christ shows his compassion, uh, Matthew nine thirty-five, And he shows us specifically, okay, how we respond to people who have compassion. I say, man, that you're really suffering. You're having a hard time. I feel bad for you. you know. But what do I do? Well, Jesus shows us what he did, Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Look what he was doing. He was teaching and preaching and he was healing. Teaching and preaching and healing. Teaching and preaching ministers to the need of their souls. Healing ministers the need of their bodies. Again, Jesus is very attached to us. Jesus cares about your spiritual condition and he cares about your physical condition. He cares whether or not you have a job. He cares whether or not you're sick. He cares uh, whether or not uh, you are sane. (laughs) The Lord wants us to be well. Do you believe that? I think we put up, now let me say, there there are sicknesses. Many of us are going through those sicknesses. I'm starting to get more of them. Now I understand why old people complain all the time. So I go older. And some of them the Lord allows us to be healed from. I think that if you have the ability, I'm sorry, this seems to pick up a lot there. But I'm not quite sure what to do with it. More back. Good. Am I good? All right. Okay. I could do street preaching level if we need to. But it would be kind of obnoxious, so I'm not going to do that. The Lord cares about us, and I think that we put up with a lot that we don't have to in our own life. If we have to, you say, Lord, give me the grace to endure. But there's much physically and emotionally and psychologically that we endure that we don't have to. We can be better, better off than what we are if we do things God's way. Anyways, Jesus shows compassion on people's bodies, and he shows compassion on their souls. And that's the... Min- the motivation and the model uh, for what many ministries do and what our ministry in Peru is we started a school for children we started a church for their families we started a church so that people could know Christ and go to heaven and we started a school so that they can enjoy a good life here on earth if you're not educated you know. if I love you, you say to another person I love you, what does that mean? that I give you chocolates and flowers well, sometimes that might be a love language for some people that is a love language that's a good way But there's a whole lot more than chocolates and flowers. And love is much more than romantic love. Uh, Christian love, agape love, is wanting what's good for you, right? Kids sometimes think, yeah, I know mama says she loves me, but yeah. But really, when you grow up, you say, I'm so glad mama loved me, and dad loved me. So if you love people, you really want what's good for them. So if I want what's good for you, I don't want you to go hungry. I don't want you to grow up into a person who doesn't know how to do anything in life and can't get a job and can't keep a job because you don't have the skills and you don't have the the personality abilities. If I see you ignorant, I want you to be learned. If I see you uh, hungry, I want you to be fed. If I see you sick, I want you to be healed. And so, if I see you lost, I want you to be in Jesus. And so love, Christian love, the love that Christ demonstrates, he is out there, he's, he, he is healing their diseases, and he at times even feeds them when they're hungry. But what their deepest need is spiritual. They need to know God. They need to be brought back to God. And so as Christians, and as anyone who's involved in ministry, and all this church is involved in ministry, you have your own ministries. You have a family ministry. The church has a ministry. And by standing with us and by sending us and by helping us, uh, you're involved in the ministry there. And I want to say thank you very much for that. Uh, what, what's done, it, it, your investment enables us to continue investing in other people's lives. And that's the mentality behind what we're doing. That's the reason we serve is so that uh, the, the afflicted who don't have to be afflicted can be free from their affliction and can enter into the feast and could be a part of the continual feasts that God has for us. The Lord really wants what's good for his people. Do you believe that? Let me, I'm, well, yeah, I'll deviate from the notes for a minute. The world's lying to you guys. Every time you turn on the TV, it's lying. Every time you flick on uh, social media, they're all lying to you. They're not as happy as they're showing you in their Facebook pages and their. Instagram. They're all liars. Everything, every song you hear, every one of those worldly, secular, heathens, they're just a bunch of liars. You, you will either find that out now and, and figure it out, or you will grow up and follow the lies and make a mess out of your life and hurt everybody. And then as an old man, you'll say, yep, uh, that weird preacher was right. They were all liars. It was all a lie. The only one that tells the truth is Jesus. And if you do it his way, and you build your life on the rock, then life is a continual feast. But the devil has a lot of junk food, a lot of alternative feasts that he offers us. And he says, if you do it my way, it's a shortcut. It's a lot more fun, and Christianity is boring anyways. Do it God's way. All right, so continual feasting. The Lord want we want to bring people to the Lord's table. That's what evangelism is. We want to invite people to be a part of the Lord's feast. You know, one good thing about working in uh, developing parts of the world is they know that everything is broke. They don't have a lot of faith in their government. They don't have a lot of faith in their education system. They know that they need help. And so when you come, say, you're smiling, and you're like really smiling. You're not just trying to sell them something, but you're saying, look, Why are you guys so happy? You irritate me. What's wrong with you people? I'm happy because I got a feast. And you can be a part of it. Be a part of the Lord's feast. Sadly, there are some people who simply refuse to come to the feast. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Some people choose evil days of affliction instead of a continual feast of joy. How is that possible? Do you know anybody, and maybe some of us have been that way, but do you know anybody who's never happy no matter what happens? They're always unhappy. You say, good morning, and they snarl, what's good about it? And just not every day they wake up on the wrong side of the bed. There's, and, and usually, they're, they're always, they always have some story about how they were mistreated, about how unfair and how unjust the world is. They're always mad about something that's politics or what it is, but everything's wrong. They are never at peace. They're always upset. Uh, no matter how good things are going, they're sure their situation is the worst in the world. They live under gloom, a cloud of pessimism and resentment. The root of the problem is not the economy, It's our souls. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Our days become evil because our hearts are sick. Our days become evil because our hearts are sick. The willfully afflicted oftentimes want everybody else to be afflicted as well. They're miserable and they want you to be miserable. True, it's not fair for them to be happy when I'm not happy, so I'm going to make them unhappy. Do you remember King Solomon? He had to deal with that his most famous judgment. In those days the kings were also the judges and so he has this case come up to his Supreme Court. It's First Kings 3.26 when he finally renders his verdict and gets the response that he was looking for. But you had two women living in the same house. One of them had a sudden infant death syndrome. Her child just died at night. And the other one had her baby. Both the babies were the same age. And so they start arguing, the one who lost her baby said, this is my baby, and the other one said, no, this is my baby. And so these two women are arguing, and they finally take it to King Solomon. And so King Solomon looks at the situation, there's no other evidence to determine whose baby it is. He couldn't tell. And he comes up with this brilliant plan, he says, guard, take the baby. The guard takes the baby, the two men watch, grabs the baby by a leg, at least that's how they always paint it in the pictures. And he says, split the child in two. Give half to her, half to her. That'll solve the problem. If you've ever had kids that are fighting, you know the temptation to want to solve problems like that. It's like, you take that hand, you take that you're done with it. That's what we'll do with the puppy. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to a puppy. Maybe a kitty, but not a puppy. First Kings 3.26. Uh, the other, say, so the real mother, she says, no, 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 no. Let her have the baby. She can have the baby. But the other, 326, the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Now look what's going on. This lady is willing to kill a baby. Why? Because her heart is bitter. She doesn't really want the baby. She's mad at life. At it. God, whoever, because she lost something. And because she lost that baby that she loved, in her anger, she wants to kill this baby that this other woman loved. It's not fair for me to have this pain in my heart, which is real. So I'm going to make you miserable too. Be careful. Every one of us are susceptible to that. It's so easy to fall into Vengeance. Bitterness destroys your own life and makes you want to destroy everyone else's life as well. Why would anyone choose affliction? Why choose for every day to be evil? Well, you don't realize that you're doing it, but one thing that can happen is your wounds can get infected. I went, uh, accompanied a man who had this terrible situation. He had uh, diabetes and he didn't take care of himself didn't obey the doctor and they amputated one of his legs and then he still didn't obey the doctor and he still had diabetes this was in Peru and um, they he had gangrene set into just a little infection on his foot and he they uh, it was horrible I won't even describe what happened but it was worse than any zombie movie what was happening to his foot and then he died from that it killed him the poison killed his body a little infection, a little wound, can destroy your body if a powerful enough disease gets into that. Now life is hard. I don't know if they told you that when you're born, but life is hard. And, and you get hurt. And as much as we loving parents try to protect our kids and we try to keep the evil when we're supposed to, we're trying to give you space. Mom and dad are over here like, protecting you so all the darts and the evil monsters and everything out there so you can get big enough to get out there and fight. But you're going to get hurt. You're going to cut and poke and scrape and scratch and claw, and they're going to attack you. But God's given us a wonderful defense system. It's called the blood of Jesus. It's called forgiveness. It's called trusting in God. It's called this cheerful heart that makes every day a feast. It's responding the right way. But some people, those who don't have that, or those who choose to reject it and ignore it, get hurt, and they allow their wounds to be infected with lies, ideologies, teachings. And the world is full of liars who will tell you lies. If you don't believe me? Turn on the TV. And, and you will find very persuasive people telling you things that will feed something in you that needs to die. That sinful nature. And you'll say, Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Poor me. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. And it starts to feed this thing. It is a reality. Here's an example somebody mistreats me. That's a tragedy. They shouldn't have done that. Therefore, I conclude that everybody's out to get me. That is a lie. Correct? You may need to be more cautious and more careful, but we need to be careful of allowing a, and those things to destroy you. Because it says in Hebrews, a root of bitterness. Be careful, lest any root of bitterness. Remember that creep in, crawl in, and it infects everything. It can infect a whole country. I'll use my wife's country as an example. For several decades now, uh, Marxist. That's an ideology. They believe that the government should take control of businesses and of the land and should take away from all those wicked, evil, rich people and take all private property, which is the cause of all the evil in the world, that you have something and this person doesn't, and should virtuously distribute that to everybody so everybody's equal and we're all the same. And then we would live in paradise and we'd love each other and people would never hurt each other and it would just be peace, love, and happiness all the time. So that's not really an exaggeration. That's basically what Marxists believe. Marxists took over the public education system of Peru several decades ago. Uh, They are very strong in the universities, especially the teachers' colleges. And most of the teachers in the public school system of Peru have, even though they don't understand it, they have a definite strong Marxist influence on them. Now, unsurprisingly, this beautiful country of very intelligent people, always ranks at the bottom of the world, every year, academically. Reading, um, mathematics, and science. They're in among the very lowest. Uh, 2015 there was an international test for kids graduating from uh, high school there, and they, they scored the absolute last in the world in this international test. Um, they argued, well, our neighboring countries were on the test, so they would have done worse than us, but Seriously speaking, it's sad. It's sad because when, when they get out of the country, um, Peruvians, have excelled in mathematics. There's a Peruvian astronaut. There's uh, in literature, there's some world-renowned literature, uh, economics. There's several Peruvian economists that are famous around the world. And in business, when they get to our country, they do very well in business. Um, so it's nothing other than a really messed up system that's keeping millions of people uh, oppressed. They don't know how to read, write, and do arithmetic, but they do know that everything that's wrong with the country is, some, is someone else's fault. They have been religiously indoctrinated from the youngest age to know that all the problems of this country are the result of those evil, wicked Europeans that conquered us 500 years ago. And they have caused all the problems that we have to this day. Uh, The fact of the matter is there is some historical truth to the accusation. Lies are always stronger when they stand on the truth. Listen, this is preparation for battle. We leave here very soon. I'm almost done. We're going to go eat. I promise you they're going to feed you today. But then you're going to go to battle. You're going to go live life. And we're going to go out to battle. And this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. You're going to run into teachings and ideologies. And it may not come across as an ideology. It might come across as a sitcom. It might come across as somebody funny that you hang out with. It might come across as your buddy, as a teacher, professor. Music that you're listening to. But lies are always stronger when they're founded on the truth. The devil can do nothing more than twist truth. And so, in the case of, of our situation there with our beloved Peru, it is true. Um, 500 years ago, Spanish conquistadors came over and they conquered uh, the country. They conquered the Inca Empire. Now, of course, a little historian in me wants to, history teacher in me wants to say, of course, the reason they were able to conquer is because tribes like the, the Chancas and the, and the um, Huancas and other tribes joined together with the Spaniards and rebelled against the Incas because the Incas had oppressed them and then their ancestors had oppressed them, and so there's nothing new under the sun. But history, the nuances of history don't feed ideologues. We like de- uh, simple answers. But it is true. They did conquer, and they they did institute a society that was very harsh and very hierarchical, and there has been a lot of oppression in Peru. That has happened across uh, the world, and certainly in that part of the world. People have been afflicted. The facts are the facts. How you respond to the facts is another issue altogether. Y'all hearing me? This may be one of the more valuable things I have to say this morning. You can't do, you can't control much of what's done to you. But in Christ, and by the grace of God, you can respond differently. We are not in a deterministic, mechanical situation where they press button A and you always get result B. See, systems like Marxism put you in that where, well, you just have to rebel because you're the oppressed proletariat and you have to uh, that the oppressors oppress the oppressed, and then you rebel against them, and then I don't have to follow that narrative. Nobody says that's my story. You God has given me freedom, and by the power of God and the grace of God, I can respond differently. Just because I've, I've been hated doesn't mean I have to hate, just because I've been hurt doesn't mean I have to hurt in return. When I first got to Peru, I would ask things. I was a young guy, and I'd say, Yo, that was 500 years ago. Talk about holding a grudge. Good grief. Can you just, like, let bygones be bygones? That was a long time ago here in America. I mean, we call the classic. Something that happened in the 1970s that was classic. We don't, we don't have a good sense of history, but them, they... I, was, I thought it happened last month or something, the way they were talking all the time, especially back in, that was in the 90s for me, and it was such a fresh thing, because communi- the war, they had a revolution where the communists only took over the government, and everybody was talking about this all the time. I said, y'all, you're hating your ancestors. That cannot be healthy to hate your ancestors. What I didn't grasp was hate was the goal. You get this, because the devil doesn't have any new tactics. They keep old wings, old wounds open because resentment serves a purpose. In their case, a political purpose. Hurt people can be made to become bitter people. And bitter people are angry people. And angry people are destructive people. I've Always said, every two-year-old is a terrorist in the making. Don't get my way. I'm going to tear up everything. If your goal is to destroy the existing order, you have to keep feeding the masses bitterness, resentment, anger, rage. Because if people just calm down and learn to live with each other, that's not going to help you destroy everything and bring in utopia. Focus on past offenses to get people to create new offenses. Satan comes to do three things. and his favorite tactic is to get us to destroy ourselves individually and corporately. Self-destruction happens when we define ourselves as victims. Now, I began by saying we need to recognize people who are afflicted and have been hurt, and they are victims in real ways. They need compassion, they need help, they need restoration. But if you find yourself as the victim, and everybody here will be on the receiving end of mistreatment. Hopefully not today, but it does happen. When you define yourself as a victim, you say, i that's who I am. I'm a person who's been mistreated. We allow, when we do that, we allow what was done to us in one period of time to infect us for all time. What happened that one day afflicts every one of my days. I don't want to live like that. I don't want you guys to live like that. I don't want anybody to live like that. All the days of the afflicted are evil. That wound poisons us and that bitterness and resentment spread like gangrene and the self-pity and the reliving it it's just like opening up the scab all over again you ever do that when you kid getting a i don't know why we did that you have a wreck on your bike open you have a big old nasty scab there show it off to all your friends and then rip it open again and then you go back and you rip it open again why do you do that something weird about human nature it hurts too and it gets infected and it's nasty when your soul is afflicted with resentment, you cannot pr- appreciate anything good. It twists your, your life. My son told me, he's studying the human body and biology, and he said that there's, you can put glasses on that flip, up, ev- flip everything upside down. You ever heard about this? And after a while, your eyes, your brain will adjust, and the whole world will be right side up. So if I put these glasses on, and you guys are all upside down like that, after a few days, my brain would make you guys be right side up. But here's the thing, when I take the glasses off, everybody's upside down. (laughs) And when you allow that to infect your soul, it flips everything upside down. Good is bad and bad is good, and right is wrong and wrong is right. and, And you see some people, you say, what's going on with you? You guys are crazy, that doesn't even make sense. Do you realize what you said? Did you not have a mama? That's insane. That's what I say every time I turn on the news. I don't turn on the news anymore. That's just, I can't believe, that guy has a university degree. They let him out in public. Then I realize everybody's like that. I'm the only one that's sane. Everybody else is crazy. What's happening? Well, what's happening is that evil in your heart affects your head. Stuff happens in here it, we will justify anything if we want something bad enough. I used to think, I love apologetics, I love theology, I love God, and, and he's rational, he's orderly, and that was such a relief to me. Coming out of the world and, and messed up world, God makes sense. Everybody else doesn't make sense. I love God. But I, I made the mistake of thinking that you could persuade people with reason and logic. That's just a, one of your, our weapons in our arsenal. People don't follow reason and logic. They, we like to th- persuade ourselves we follow re- reason and logic. What do we follow? We follow our hearts, just like Disney told us to. We follow our passions. And so people construct elaborate philosophies and grow to great lengths to defend whatever they want. When your soul is a- afflicted, you see evil in everyone, everywhere, every day. And the bad thing is, when you get cynical, you become what you despise. I hate my dad. He's always telling people what to do. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to go join the military, do whatever I want, I'll be able to tell people what to do. Praise God for the military. Another cause can be fear. People who have been hurt in the past are afraid of being hurt again in the future. For those who are afflicted with disillusionment, every day is an evil day. C.S. Lewis. Anybody remember the last battle? I like that story. I read that some years ago. I need to reread it when my kids were little. and It amazed me. I thought, wow, I had read this as a kid, but I didn't remember it being like this. But one of the best parts, to me, it's, it's modern man. It was definitely uh, secular man. But... Do you remember that uh, there's this this whole deal where there's a false Aslan? Aslan is the hero character in the story, the the the, the lion, and there's a fake lion, there's a fake hero, and uh, and he's really evil. They say, how is Aslan doing bad stuff? And the dwarves are uh, these characters from the that, that are taken in, they're deceived by the fake Aslan, and then at the end of the story. Of the real Aslan shows up and he makes everything right and he takes them into the stable and it's a porthole to the Aslan's land, which is the, the promised land. They finally all get to go to the promised land. And so even the dwarves, they're there in the promised land with the children and, and everyone else and, and the other characters from Narnia. And so they're, they're finally in the, in the promised land place in Aslan's country. And how do the dwarves respond? Do you remember that? They don't believe that they're there. They start complaining about how dirty the stable is and, in this, and how dark and stuffy it is and how they're getting stuck with thistles and they're in a beautiful country with sun shining and everything's good and they can't, take, they can't see the good. They have actually deceived themselves. I've got a little quote here. They keep denying the good reality everyone is enjoying. Okay, this comes from the book. Don't take, now, don't take any notice. They won't take us in again. They will not let us help them, Aslan explained. They have chose cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their mind, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. There's a lot of people like that, y'all. And we don't need to go there. We don't need to be like that. How many people, how many of us Missed out, miss out on the feasts of joys that God has for us every day of our life because we're so afraid. That's not the Lord's plan. Fear and bitterness will make everyday evil if you let them, but you don't have to. The difference between Feasting or affliction in this case it doesn't depend on the economy and I like working I like all the good stuff you can do with money but it doesn't depend on who's in the White House hallelujah it doesn't depend on what everybody else is doing it doesn't depend on the culture it doesn't depend even on what you have or don't have what you get to do or don't get to do it depends on your response to God's grace the last verse very briefly the last part of the verse says uh, a cheerful heart, he, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. In, in Hebrew, it's tov lev, the good heart. How do you get a good heart? How do you get a cheerful heart? You got to get a good heart. How do you get a good heart? You need a clean heart. How do you clean your heart? Well, You come to Jesus and you repent. You turn from fear. You turn from bitterness. You turn from lies. You turn from resentment. You say, Lord, I have been afflicted when I didn't have to be. Lord, I believed lies when I didn't have to believe them. Lord, I was afraid when you told me it was okay. Lord, I was bitter and vengeful and resentful when you said you forgave me and told me to forgive them. And you ask for his forgiveness. And you turn from your sin. And you receive the gift of Jesus. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. He gave himself so that we could have a feast. He gave himself so that feeding on Christ, having life in him, we could have abundant life. Not only in the sweet by and by, but right now, right here. You can have a continual feast. It's every day can be a good day in Jesus. Why? Because your vision has changed. You see that... We're up here in a, in a stage, and the last time, it was something from World War II. I said, I said this morning when I came in, every time I come in here, this place changes. And our sister said, every time we come here, it changes too. You know what? I feel like that about my country. Every time I come back to the United States, it's a different country. Man, this is a weird place to be living in. This is not the United States I left. I gone left in 2010, come back, and look what happens, y'all. But you know what? This is the stage we get to act our parts out on. Okay, sometimes it's a dark, spooky story. Sometimes it's an epic drama. Whatever. This is the stage, but we can play our parts well and have a continual feast before the Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? Whatever's going on in the world around us, whether it's feasting or fasting, whether I'm uh whether I'm on the run or I'm in, in a position of, of authority and preeminence, I can rejoice in all things. God commands us to rejoice. How do we do that? We turn away from the lies. We turn to the truth. And we say, God's in charge. A friend of mine went to see um, Nate Saint's son. What is his name? Steve Saint and he brought his kids to see Steve Saint. You remember Steve Saint? His dad was murdered by the people he was trying to help a tribe out in the Amazon jungle. This kid grew up without a dad because of this, but he actually spent some time with the tribe because his, his aunt became a uh, missionary to that tribe, and he was one of the few people that knows their language. And so years later, after he was in, in the oil f- business and had a family of his own, his whole family moves back. You all are familiar with the story, right? And so his family moves back and lives with this tribe and they, and they served them and they were Christians and he actually came to the United States with Minkaya, this old guy who was one of the men that killed his dad but was like a father figure to his family and was a friend. And so after his presentation my, my buddy went up with his kids and they talked to Steve and they said what would you, do you have any words of wisdom for my kids? And he said yeah here's, here's what I would tell them and he kneeled down and he said don't write your own story let God write your story. I had to think about that. What are you saying? Don't write your own story. We all had to make decisions what we're going to do and so on. But here's what it is. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And then I'll follow you. And I'm following God and all of a sudden, boom, COVID-19 in 2020. They got the number off. And then I lose my job. And then you lose your family. And then somebody dies. And then sickness. And then you're stuck at home. Just I'm talking about our sister here, you know. Oh, Lord, I'm trying to follow you and everything's going wrong. He's good. He's God. He's going to bring us home. And he'll be glorified. And you know what? It transforms your attitude. Final thing. When our sister called, the, the woman I mentioned earlier, and her husband called, talked to me, they weren't calling to complain. They were calling to praise God. She said, I just want to praise the Lord. I found out I'm pregnant. Oh, that was the other thing. She said, I found out I'm pregnant. And I was taking care of my mom. I was uh, physically caring for her. I didn't get COVID. And so the babies are okay. And then she said, I praise the Lord that we just got from the hospital. They gave us the body back. And we were able to bury my mom. And, and he told me, he said, I just, I just want to praise God. I'm down to one bottle of oxygen a day and I'm getting better. And he actually did recover. And he said, um, uh, we didn't know what to do because nobody would sell us anything in the neighborhood, and we can't actually, like, legally, they weren't even supposed to leave the house, I think. He said, but brothers and sisters from the church are coming over every day, and they're bringing us food. And so we've, we're, we're taking care of it. My kids aren't going hungry. And then he, they were, he said, I'm praise God because, uh, how would I say this in English? Like, all them thick-headed people I've been witnessing to, they're going to start paying attention now. They're going to wake up and hear the gospel. And, uh, and then she gave birth to, to twins. She had twins just uh, about a month ago. And they were, they were worshiping the Lord. We finished those conversations just rejoicing. They called to share how good God was. And he said, I'm praying all the time. I can't do anything. God made me sit still and pray. So I get to spend all day praying with the Lord. Now, these, this guy, a few years ago when we lived in Peru, he lived up the street from me. He was a mechanic. He would make fun of me. He told me, "Man, my buddies, we used to sit out and drink. We'd make fun of you, goofy missionary. And now he's calling to encourage me for what God's doing in his life. How can you respond like that? That's not normal. Yeah, it is. It's a continual feast every day. If you've got a good heart, a cheerful heart, God's heart, let's pray. Lord, I want that heart. I want to have the good heart, the cheerful heart, the heart that's tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that's received your mercy, that knows your compassion and can show your compassion to other people in their affliction. Lord, we repent in the name of Jesus. Repent for unbelief. Repent for our bitterness. Repent for the lies we believed. We ask you to save us from them. We turn from them. We forgive as you have forgiven. We will trust in you. And whatever comes in this year, in the years ahead, Lord, we want to be people who are walking by faith, the kind of faith that we see in your Word. Trusting that you're good, you set the stage, you allow things to happen, You knew we would be born at the time we were born and live through what we lived through. Lord, we want to be glorifying you. And we don't glorify you by being depressed and we don't glorify you by being unbelieving and frustrated and angry. We glorify you by trusting that you're good. I trust that you're good and pray that that would be real in all of our hearts. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all very much. God bless you.